Blog Talk Radio. The following show is a proud member of the ShowDoc Network. Learn more about this show and other great shows by logging on to ShowDoc.com. This week's episode of the Sports Docket is being sponsored by Blog Talk Radio, System Showdowns. And by sports and economics. They seem to go together quite well. Coming to you live from... What's on your docket? Welcome to the Sports Docket with Ace Man and the Cross. Tune in to hear their take on New York sports to see if their teams make the grade. Presented by ShowDoc.com. Live from Lynbrook in Syracuse, New York, this is the Sports Docket Radio Show with Ace Man and the Quas. Time to talk Lynn Saturday and the rest of the sports world. Hello and welcome to the Sports Docket on Blog Talk Radio. This is episode 61 for Tuesday night, May 1st, 2012. We are coming to you live tonight from Kingston, New York. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ethan Quasman. Tonight, my co-host Stephen Ackerman is on assignment. In a couple of moments, we're going to be joined by Alan St. John of Forbes.com, as well as Diane Lynn Rogers and her son, Johnny Rogers. Diane Lynn Rogers writes for the Christian Science Monitor. She's also the chief economist of the Concord, the Concord Coalition. Joining us right now, Alan St. John, Diane Lynn Rogers. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you again. So let's start talking about, first of all, with Lynn Sanity. Um, that was obviously a, a, a big deal the Knicks during this season. Knicks, of course, in the playoffs without Jeremy Lin. Let's start with you, Diane. How was uh, how do you and, and Johnny? How do you think? How, how did Lin Sandy? How did it go down? Well, I mean, I wrote about it in the Christian Science Monitor, just from the perspective of uh, being a mom and an economist. I have a blog, Economist Mom, and um, I found it really interesting in terms of how much. Linsanity was inspiring my son. Like my son was very excited about it. Um, you know, we haven't had an Asian American prominent pro sports player. Um, you know, in I I think in my lifetime, and um, it's very exciting because of what it inspires in Asian American kids. I think that suddenly. Um, it was a sign that maybe Asian Americans can be successful at things other than studying, <laughs> and it was it was a nice thing. I think it's nice to encourage kids to pursue all kinds of interests because I actually think that that's um, gives kids the greatest chance for success, economic success. Now, Alan, you mentioned to me before the show that we're kind of post we're kind of post insanity stages now, uh, especially of course with the injury. Uh, that he's not, and he's not playing right now. How how did it, how do you think it all played out with Lynn Sanity with the Knicks? Did you think it added something to their season? Yeah. Well, I, again, I think it was really interesting just sort of how quickly the whole thing sort of came and went. I mean, you know, and part of part of it is you know from from the point of view of just sort of a sports you know analytics guy you know i do sort of money ball style analytics a lot in in basketball and and other sports the fact is i mean you know what this was based on initially was really a small sample kind of situation he came out had a few really great games and then everybody's like wow that's really incredible well the point is of course you know that you know that was really not necessarily sustainable. It wasn't necessarily indicative of what I think his sort of real level of talent was. And in addition to that, there was also the issue of um, the fact that there were you know the team had injuries and they were sort of in a, in a state of transition and all that. And people just sort of you know latched onto that and were. But what I thought was was really interesting as well is I sort of was trying to write about Jeremy Lin as a basketball player and as a member of the Knicks and talking about you know you know just simply things that were going on I talked about um about what would happen 
after um, Mike D'Antoni got fired or, you know, essentially left the, left the team, was sort of forced to resign, I think. And basically his style of coaching was very much, uh, you know, in sync with what, with, you know, what Lynn's strengths were and all of that and how that might affect, affect him. The thing that was interesting is I was getting so many uh, responses from, you know, fans, I think, you know, both across the country and around the world, and it, which was one was, I think, kind of interesting. And these guys were, for the most part, they were not, you know, just like Knicks fans in the same way that, you know, if I was writing about, you know, Iman Shumpert or one of the one of the other guys on the team, you know, I think I would be mostly getting people who are other Knicks fans and they're thinking, okay, well, how is this guy's performance going to affect my favorite team? These guys, there were so many of the, the fans were very much Jeremy Lin fans. They were all about just, you know, again, inspired by the story, and it really is a great story. And but also just you know when when I actually posited a question of well you know should the Knicks think about trading Jeremy Lin and what could they get for him you know for the most part people you know most of the fans were saying yeah that would be perfectly fine it would be perfectly fine to trade him if that's a better situation for Jeremy Lin because I'm a Jeremy Lin fan not a New York Knicks fan so it was really kind of kind of an interesting phenomenon and I think it'll be interesting to sort of see how this plays out in you know plays out next season once we've had a little time to to settle in. I don't think the injury is going to be a long-term issue with him, but I think it's going to be that next year you know you're basically sort of see what he is and I think what he is is a very, you know, a a good to very good NBA player. He's not, you know, he's not even the best point guard, you know, in the New York, you know, metropolitan area right now. I mean, that's that's Darren Williams right uh, right now, but that said, he's but I think he is the best point guard that the that the Knicks have, and I think it'll be interesting to see you know how much of a chance he gets to gets to play and gets to to improve, and also to to some degree do they hire a coach who is again going to give him a chance to flourish in a way that maybe he would not have with uh, you know with Mike Woodson the coach now who uh, uh, you know they only played a few he only played a few games under Woodson uh, before the injury, but. I, there was some question as to uh, I think think Woodson was not as sold on him as D'Antoni was. Now we're also joined by Johnny Rogers, the Diane son. Uh, of course, Jeremy Lin has been an inspiration for you. How has he inspired you to pursue academics and athletics? Um, well, yeah, I've always been a pretty good student and like to do good with my work. And I, I, I found his story to be very um helpful with my sports cuz it would inspire me to do better and know that sometimes even if you are not the best player or people don't think you're the best player that you can be the, look like you are the best player and perform the best right we're joined right now by Diane Lynn Rogers of the Christian Science Monitor as well as Alan St. John of forbes.com and he's also an author of of a book, which we'll talk about uh, later lots on. And lots of lots and lots of books, actually. Yes, um, most most recently the the billion dollar game about the uh, the economics of the Super Bowl, but also a book called Clapton's Guitar about the world's greatest guitar builder. All right, so you can check it out on allenstjohn.com. Indeed. Okay, uh, I'm staying on the topic of basketball. Um, the Knicks already lost the first two games to Miami Heat. I want to pose this question for Allen. First, are the Knicks going to win a game in this series? Uh, and second, do you, do you think they'll they'll advance? Um, well, I think the answer is maybe and no, or maybe, you know. And, and that said, if you're really pushing me, I'd probably say no and no. Um, you know, the fact is that the that. The Knicks are really, I think, an interesting in an interesting situation. The Knicks spent basically two years, you know, with Donnie Walters, the GM, basically clearing cap space. I mean, the NBA is really a ruthless environment, and I think that Diane will understand this as, as an economist. This is one of those places where, because of the hard salary cap, very simply, you, you know, there's only, you know, you can't essentially overspend in uh, on on player salaries. And the fact is that because of the top the top part of the salary cap, what you essentially have is guys like the very best players, guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. Those guys are actually going to be underpaid 
because very simply they're you know because they're making the maximum salary there's no way to sort of pay them more and the fact is that the Knicks basically cleared a bunch of salary cap cap space they had really been in a very bad situation with uh with their previous GM a guy named um Isaiah Thomas and they cleared all this all this space out with the idea that they could go out there and maybe get LeBron James when he was a free agent a couple of years ago and possibly one of the other guys a guy like like Dwayne Wade, who he ended, who LeBron ended up with in Miami, or Chris Bosh, or somebody like that. Instead, the Knicks ended up with Amari Stoudemire, who just this, who again um, in in the game the other night, after the game the, the other night, uh, basically punched a uh, a glass enclosure around a uh, around a fire extinguisher and you know ripped open his hand. You know, I mean, basically the word for that I think is knucklehead. I mean, it just doesn't. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's nice that he has a, that he has a passion and he takes it seriously that he's losing. But the fact is, that certainly did not help the team. You know, as far as that's concerned. But again, Amari Stoudemire, he's been, and that's been sort of typical of his of his sort of Knicks, not not so much the on court implosions, but he's been basically physically frail to the point where they couldn't actually insure his um, his contract. So he was, you know, so. Um, Stoudemire was a sort of, again a guy who's getting paid as much as Kobe Bryant or uh, LeBron James, but yet again not you know anywhere near their caliber. And the other guy that they that they went out and and spent a lot of money on was a guy named Carmelo Anthony, and and you know very same same situation. There was a real issue as to basically whether Anthony could, for example, get along on the court with Jeremy Lin, where basically they could, you know, sort of act, sort of, you know, play play together in a harmonious way. And for the most part, they really didn't show very much, uh, you know, very much opportunity to do that. Um, you know, on, as I said before, Lin got injured. But the but the fact is, though, as I said, I'm a, I'm a very longtime Knicks fan, and this team is very, very frustrating to me right now because the team kind of, they – are much better than they were a few years ago, but they're not anywhere near a championship quality team. I mean, they're to the they're the sort of team that you know maybe the I sort of figured them as maybe you know they could be a second round team if they if they were if things broke right for them, and again if they had a slightly better regular season and gotten a softer opponent. But the fact is, they just are not anywhere near the you know they don't have have. Uh, the players to match up with the with the Heat. The Heat is, you know, the Heat is, you know, a legitimate championship contender, and the Knicks are not. And the problem is they won't be with these players. And they essentially, you know, they, uh, you know, they went out and they spent their spent their allowance on candy and gum, and it was really, you know, and it was really frustrating to see because I don't want to see them, you know, go to the playoffs. I want to see them win a championship, and they're not any closer to that than they were, you know, three or four years ago. And getting to the next point here, you mentioned about um, what Stoudemire did after the game Monday night. Uh, talk about players and coaches. Uh, for you, Johnny, you're a basketball player now. How, yeah. How's your? How, how do you? Does the coach have a? The coach obviously plays a big role with the teams. How does he keep the players from staying in the game and not doing anything? That's reckless. How do you, like, how do you stay in the game? Um, well, mainly it's being enforceful, but enforcing it in a positive way, because that just makes you want to try harder, and it doesn't make you want to give up. It doesn't make you want to just give up and just like not stay out of the game. He makes you want to stay in the game and try to win. Right, and not to get frustrated, right? Yeah, he makes you want to. Just calm down and play your hardest. I think that's I think that's a really interesting point that that you raised there. And I think you know the fact is that you know my my guess is that when you're you're talking the same qualities that you like you know that you that are working for you with this coach are the same qualities, for example, that would be you know, that you'd find in a good teacher, right? Some of your best yeah. teachers are like that. Yeah. And for that yeah. matter, I would think you know also you know the qualities of a good parent. In addition to that, I think the and, and Diane, I think you can speak to this. The idea of 
you know, the qualities that you need in a good boss or a manager, you know, a leader leader of a corporation or whatever else. I mean, I think that, that it's interesting. People sort of think of athletes as sort of being being somehow different than just like regular employees. And at a certain level, you know, the be- the very best ma- best coaches, I think, are just really good managers. Well, I yeah, I think I mean speaking as a mom, the reason why I like my kids doing sports is because well, especially Johnny in his basketball and the baseball he's done is it really does teach him sort of life lessons for when he becomes an adult in terms of teamwork and cooperation. And, um, you know, I think it's important for him to see role models in professional sports that are good team players and aren't, you know, aren't, you know, trying to take the whole show to themselves and don't have these inflated egos, don't lose their temper so, so badly. And I think that's one of the things about Jeremy Lin is that, um, he is a very intelligent player, and he's an intelligent person, and he played well as a team member, not just as a superstar ball player on his own. Well, it's funny. I think one of the guys, one of the guys who I really adm- have just admired as a coach is a guy named Phil Jackson, who was, you know, his, his record sort of speaks for himself. He was the coach of the Bulls and the coach of the uh, the coach of the Lakers during their championship years. But one of the things that was always interesting about Jackson, of course, is the fact is it's it is I I you know I imagine that it's very easy to coach a guy like Jeremy Lin. The point is Jeremy Lin, he's smart and he seems to be you know have you know, an understanding of what of what his role is on the team and all of that, and that's and that's great. And it's of course it's wonderful when you have a guy who has both the athletic ability and as well as the atti- the attitude. But the fact is, though, you don't always necessarily get that. And there were guys, for example, a guy named named Ron Artest who has now changed his name to Meta World Peace. He actually just got suspended for uh, for a really nasty. Fl- flagrant foul and the funny thing is though this guy he was one of the guys that um that phil jackson reached out to and and got on and got on the team and basically he and there's been a, a number of guys like this in phil jackson's past basically he's gone out and found guys who are pretty much head cases these guys are nuts. <laughs> guys there's a guy like dennis rodman and he would paint you know his he would just, you know, be show up wearing a dress. He'd have his hair painted, you know, painted seven different colors, this and that and whatever. And the same thing with, with Ron Artest. He had, you know, a lot of times these really sort of nasty incidents. But on the other hand, what they did do, and they were very difficult to deal with, and thus they were available available because other you know, the other coaches couldn't figure out how to sort of integrate them into a team concept. But on the other hand, these guys on the court – in a very limited way, they were actually quite selfless. They didn't really need the ball. They didn't need to take a lot of shots. They were willing to play defense, which is a really hard, nasty kind of part of the game, as as you know, Johnny, right? I mean, it's hard to play defense. Guys are pushing you around. You're pushing guys around. There's, you know, you get bruises, right? Yeah. Totally. Well, the fact is, you know, I mean, the guys who are willing to, not only willing to go out and do this, but love to do this, guys like Ron Artest and guys like Dennis Rodman, are really hard to come by on the one hand, but I think maybe it almost takes a guy who's a little bit nuts to really want to do that and whatever. And yet the fact <laughs> is that Phil Jackson was able to sort of say to guys like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jackson and the other stars on the team, hey, you know, you you guys are going to be the role models here. You're going to set the tenor for the team and all that, as well as with me. And the fact is, this guy, you know, we're going to get this guy, and on the one hand, he's going to help us win. On the other hand, He's going to be disruptive at certain points and and whatever else, and he may be just flat out nuts, but the fact is yeah. he's a good player and he's go- and we're going to help you know he's going to help him we're going we're going to help him and he's going to help us and I hey think Alan, can I ask you a question of course um i I'm an economist, but I don't know anything about the economics of professional sports. Does the market work in the sense that do those head cases actually get priced at a discount? Yeah, well, yes, they certainly do. Okay. I mean, yeah, I think that there's exactly that. And I think, I mean, they tend to get priced not so much in terms of salary, but in terms of trade value, because, of uh-huh. course, you know, there's two sides of that. But the fact is that essentially what happens is these guys go and they drive the coach crazy. And if they're, you know, and and at that point you can sort of trade them, you know, trade, you know, relatively little to get them. 
So uh-huh. yes, so and, yeah. and exactly that that point. So I think you know, and and as I said, the other point is in the NBA, especially, it's a very very it's a really viciously competitive market, and if you make small mistakes, you know, in terms of of you know assessing a player and basically pay him too much, you end up handicapping your your organization in a huge way because that guy ends up um, because essentially you don't have enough money to go buy the rest of the guys to compliment him. Right. And, that's and yet sort of where the Knicks have ended up. I have to say it's strangely refreshing for me to hear you talk about salary caps because my job is for the Concord Coalition is working on federal budget issues where there are no caps and that's the problem. So I actually like hearing that there are some budget discipline tools going on in the NBA. It's yeah, it's actually you know, it's <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting question as far as that's concerned. Sort of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. The the fact is that, you know, it's being sold to the fans, I think. Salary caps are sold to the fans as something that's good for them because it allows a team in a place like, you know, Sacramento or something like that to be able to play, you know, on an even playing field with the Knicks or, or you know, a team that's in a big market. But honestly, you know, what this is about is very simply it's sort of the owners kind of basically working in an almost monopolistic kind of way and 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 whatever and the, you know but the fact is they're able to get away with it and uh and essentially it keeps their it keeps their cost structure in in line as uh, as far as that's well, concerned so does and, it know. keep does it keep ticket prices down like if there if there weren't salary caps how would that show up yeah. in the market and okay would it cut into you could, you would it cut into profit or would topic. it um, um, yeah <laughs> you hit my favorite topic. Okay. okay. Now here's here's the point. Here's the the the, the thing that pl- that players are constantly that fans are constantly talking about. They're talking about ticket prices, and they all and everybody's complaining that games are too expensive. And and and, yeah. and I wish I didn't have to pay however many hundreds of dollars to take my yeah. my kids to a game <laughs> and whatever else. Well, here's my question, of course. Well, you know as well as I do, how do things get priced in in the real world? Things get well, supply right. and demand. Supply and demand, right. Well, the yeah. fact is, of course, it's not the cost of production. Now, is it? Now, the fact, of course, is. Now, if you think about that, and, you know, and so so if you look, look for example, at the NCAA tournament. Anybody, you know, you guys watched, watched a, little bit of, a little bit of March Madness, right? The yes. NCAA, in fact, uh, we were, yes. In fact, we were at the final. Well, Johnny was at the final four. I was well, in a nearby hotel. Well, let me ask, <laughs> okay, let me ask you a question. How much, so was that ticket free? Well, let's put it this way. What, I mean, you know, and I'm not, I, I'm saying basically, was there, was that, t- was there, you know, did, did somebody pay for that ticket? Yes. <laughs> yes, there was a price on that ticket. My guess is it wasn't $5. It was probably Definitely. a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> A hundred dollars, something like that, right? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you. Did the, you know Anthony? You know Anthony Davis or Mike Gilchrist? How much did they get paid? Zero. They didn't get paid anything. I mean, yes, you can talk about their. Um, you know, you can talk about um, you know their scholarships or whatever, but they, mm-hmm. but functionally, they essentially didn't get paid anything. We're certainly not anywhere near what an NBA player get gets paid. But the fact is, an NCAA Final Four ticket is as expensive or more expensive than you know virtually any NBA ticket, except for maybe the finals, right? So the fact is that you know again the the, the pricing is not. It's not based on what the what the actual what the players are are getting paid. It's based mm-hmm. on the supply and demand. It's based on the fact that people want you know the, they're you know if they're doing it right and if they're doing it according to sort of a, a you know a proper economic model, they're going to you know set the price at at the point at which they you know they're going to make the most the most money regardless of how much they are or are not paying the uh, paying the players. And that's exactly how it works. And and that's really the situation in the you know in the NBA. I mean, it's a question of whether you know you can actually make you know make a go of it from a business point of view. You know, and owners are intensely, of course, concerned about about how much they're paying their players. But really, it does. But the fact is that if the players, you know, if you know LeBron James were to say, "Okay, I am, you know, I'm going to become Amish, and I really don't <laughs> care about money anymore." And just very quietly told, told you know, told, told the team 
president, I'm going to be Amish from now on, and I don't and I don't want my paycheck. But and if this and this were kept secret, so there's no question of of sort of how this is going to affect the uh, you know of the, the fans learning about this. But the fact is, would that that's just not going to affect ticket price. The you know the the mm-hmm. you know when you when you sign a player and ticket prices go up, it goes you know the ticket prices are going up because. The, because it's a better product, which increases demand. Because this player is going to make that team, you know, more exciting to watch, and that's right. and that's right. the way it is. And yet, the fact is, they keep repeating this lie. You know, especially in baseball, was the place where they always did, and would repeat the lie over and over again, and basically saying that the reason why, you know, the the reason why uh, you're Ticket prices for the Yankees are so high is because of Derek Jeter's contract or or A Rod's contract or who or whomever else. And the other point, of course, is as we know, it's the it's the owners who decide what to what to pay the players. Not to mention, of course, you know, setting things like salary caps and luxury taxes and and, and all of that, which essentially for, you know put sort of an artificial constraint on the market and actually keep tending to keep salaries down. So. So the, mm-hmm. the 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 short answer to that is, you know, I think one most you know, one most franchises I think are making an awful lot of money and owners are making an awful lot of money and two, uh, you know, they're really sort of separate separate issues. The sort of the business of of the team and and the, and the ticket prices. The ticket prices are just that sort of one small element that has relatively little to do with you know with salaries. The salaries have to do with the with the profits, but not necessarily ticket prices. Hmm. I have this odd image now of LeBron James dressed in an Amish outfit, but thank you for <laughs> well, that explanation. I, you know, as I as I said, I you know I I'd pay to see that too, actually. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, as I as I said, I mean, you know, and I and I think it's even things like. You know, I don't know about you, but we're very excited here about going to see the see the Avengers movie. Well, the point is, of course, you know, you go to the Cineplex and you're going to see the Avengers movie, and I don't know what what it costs, but I would imagine it was you know a couple hundred million dollars, you know, if not more than that. On the one hand, and on the other hand, you go and you want to go, you know, at the same you know cinema if they're playing you know something like The Artist or whatever else, which costs, you know. Well, I don't know what five five million dollars, ten million dollars. I mean, some very small fraction, and mm-hmm. yet they're both basically priced at rough. You know, the prices are going to be right. roughly the same. It's going to be the same. You know, ten, eleven bucks or, or whatever it is. You know, and I think you see those sorts of examples all over the place. But the fact is, I think people, fans especially, are sort of scared away by sort of economics and will sort of and and by numbers and whatever. And if you basically, you know, say it loud enough, people will believe it. <laughs> And thank you guys for that discussion there, obviously. We're rounding towards the end of the segment. I just want to get to another topic that uh, Alan, he covered on his on his blog at Forbes.com. Uh, someone who's quite older than Jeremy Lin, he's 49 years old and still pitching in the major leagues, Jamie Moyer. Uh, what do you make of Jamie Moyer still pitching the major leagues at 49? Uh, he's, still, he's still got it. Well, here here is one one thing that's interesting. So, uh, so Johnny, do you play baseball at all? Uh yes, I used to, and I'm planning to next year. Well, interesting. Well, let me ask ask a question. Do you think you could throw 78 miles an hour? No. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. I re- I like your honesty, and I like your and I and I like your self awareness. The thing that was it was an interesting story. The thing that I loved about this is a team in Florida, minor league team, set up. You know, a beautifully, you know, it's beautifully simple promotion. They basically set up a radar gun and had a little sign that basically said, "Can you, you know, and with a picture of Jamie Moyer and the sign said, can you throw faster than me? And if you can throw faster than him, which is 78 miles an hour, which was what he's he's been putting up on the radar gun, you get free tickets for the game. And if you, you, get, <laughs> you know, I think you pay a dollar for a ball or something like that. Everybody's, and of course, everybody's thinking, oh man, you know. And, I mean, everybody go, is going out there. I was playing catch with my daughter, and I'm, you know, everybody's there. We're like, oh, well, I'm, when I'm playing, I'm playing catch, I'm probably got to be throwing 75, 80. But when I really <laughs> throw it hard, I mean, I must be throwing 90, you know. And God knows when I was in high school, it was probably like 93, 94, you know, whatever it was, something like that. Well, the fact is, do you know how many tickets they had actually given away? 
None. Zero. <laughs> Nada. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, and again, we're talking about, of course, you know, gro- you know, grown men, <laughs> and all of this have gone on, gone there, and just been like, you know, put put down, you know, ten bucks, twenty bucks, just you know, for a bucket <laughs> of balls, and they're they're trying to, you know, uh, trying to, you know, get it up on the radar gun, and they're and it's like, you know, forty seven miles an hour, you know, fifty two. <laughs> And the you know the closest they got one guy who got up to seventy seven and and that was it, you know which and I think the thing that's interesting about this is we sort of have this tendency because we played sports when we were kids, we sort of think, oh yeah we i you know I played sports, and they're playing the same game as 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 i as I was, and the answer to that is no, they are not i they are absolutely <laughs> not. I mean, you know, this is, I think, one really solid empirical example in which you can sort of see the, uh, you know, you can see it on something like a radar gun. But that said, I've actually had the privilege of, you know, compete, you know, of just whatever. I mean, pl- you know, playing with professional athletes in some in, in some sports. I mean, I've played with guys who, you know, have ATP points on, in in tennis. And by the way, Michael Chang, who who. Uh, like my mother grew up in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey. That was another uh, an, um, another uh, Chinese American uh, right. uh, yeah, athlete who had great success. But right. in any case, but um, but that's but that said, I mean, so I played these guys, and I was just to the point of they are playing, you know, and I was, you know, I played tennis in college, and I'm, you know, a decent enough athlete. But the fact is, these guys are playing an entirely different game it's just there's no comparison between what they're doing and what and what you played with played when you were in high school or even if you were in college or you know or whatever but the fact that you know the fact is these guys are you know and if you look at the you know look at the mass of it you you very simply these guys are the very tip the so far right of this bell curve you know the very apex of this of this pyramid you know the fact is you know you think about the best guy who is, you know, the best player on your high school team. Well, the fact is this is the the distillation of that. If that guy on the best, the best player on your high school team was a distillation of all the kids in grammar school and then a bunch of the kids in high school and then he's the very best of that and whatever. Well, this guy is there. He's not only the the best, you know, in a group of high schools and then the best, you know, the best you know, the best kid in high school in the county, but the best high school in the state and the best you know the and the the state put the states one against each other across the country and the fact is you know this is a guy who is you know there are 20 other guys you know maybe at the, at any given position who are who can do what he can do mm-hmm. i mean if you think about that or 50 other guys it's just such a rarefied club that there are you know a thousand major leaguers out of 200 million people in this in this country 250 million people in this country these are the thousand best you know, baseball players, and most people have, you know, had, to, you know, gone out there and sort of said, "Hey, I'm going to go out and and try this and 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 whatever else." There's certainly a lot of incentive to go out and try to play to play baseball. Well, the fact is, these are the thousand, you know, the ultimate select, uh, you know, the ultimate, sele- you know, sort of, you know, almost a kind of natural selection, you know, process. So, you know, the fact is, I mean, if you sort of thought about this in in other terms, and the other thing that's interesting is a guy like Jamie Moore is very normal looking and a lot of baseball players are very normal looking Bas- basketball players you know of course you find the guys who are you know a lot of these guys you know you look at a guy like you know anthony davis who's six foot ten and you're like wow okay he's six foot ten or shaquille o'neal who's you know weighs 350 pounds or something you know you can sort of see what they're doing but the fact is you know a baseball player has hand-to-eye coordination that's every bit as sort of like you know, 99th percentile and 99.999 percentile as Shaquille O'Neal has, you know, in height and and coordination and just sheer size. So, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I thought that, so I, I, I love that story. I, I was really, it was really nice, I think, to, to see that and and have a chance to, to sort of just, you know, remind people just how special these guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we had a great panel discussion of sports and economics tonight. Before we go, <laughs> want the guests to, to, to plug themselves. Um, Alan St. John of Forbes.com, as well as the author of the Bill and 
the, the billion-dollar game behind the scenes at the biggest day in American sports, Super Bowl Sunday, as well as Diane Lim Rogers of the Christian Science Monitor and of the Concord Coalition, as well as her son, uh, Johnny Rogers, who's 13 years old and a seventh grader at the Thoreau Middle School, Vienna, Virginia. Um, can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, where can we find your columns online? Alan? Um, yeah, well, you can definitely find me on you know Forbes.com. I'm I'm there. You can of course follow my columns on you know Forbes.com and also on also on Twitter, Facebook, and you know all all over the place. I mean, for that matter, you want to you know come come to Upper Montclair, New Jersey. You can you know uh, you can follow, follow me around when I'm walking my dog. <laughs> and Diane, where can we find you uh, on Christian Science Monitor as well as on Twitter? Um, I have a blog called economistmom.com and I my Twitter is under that name as well and the Concord Coalition um has a website concordcoalition.org and you can find me there too. I want to thank you all for joining me tonight and we look forward to maybe talking to you in the future sometime. Thanks for having well, us. Yeah. Well, thank thanks. You. That was big fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was uh, a great segment, interview segment there. Um, I'm coming to you live tonight from Kingston, New York. Um, as I said before, Ethan Klossman, this is the return of the sports talk, and this is episode 61, if you're joining us uh, here at 9.06 p.m. New York time. Um, in a couple of minutes, we may be joined by another guest, um, who's live at the New Jersey Devils game tonight uh, in Philadelphia. The uh, Devils playing the Flyers. They trail one to nothing. I believe it's in the second period right now. So Travis Hughes of SBNation.com, that's Sports Blog Nation, will be joining us uh, maybe within the next couple of minutes or so uh, right here. On the sports docket, we close at 9.30. I um, want to give you some sports updates while we're talking. The Mets are losing by a score of 5 to nothing to the Houston Astros in Houston tonight. The Mets lost last night by a score of 4-3. to three, And they're losing tonight 5 to nothing. Uh, their backup catcher is Nikias. He's ill. And so Baxter is going to back up Josh Tolley, the other catcher for the Mets. And, uh, yeah, that's what we got for you. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash sportsdocket and on Twitter, twitter.com slash sportsdocket. This is our first show back in quite a long time since uh, May of 2010. So it's been a while. Uh, and Aceman will be joining us for the next Sports Docket show. Uh, right now, Aceman is on his assignment, as we'd like to say, so he'll be joining us uh, in the future. But uh, the Flyers, Devils, playing right now in Philadelphia. It's a playoff game. The Devils beat the Florida Panthers in the first round of the playoffs to advance. Uh to the semifinals. And the end of the second period now in Philadelphia, still one nothing Flyers. Matt Reed gave Philadelphia the one nothing lead. It was only two two and a half minutes into the first period of game two. No, it was two minutes and fifty three seconds it's the first period of game two, and that gave the Philadelphia Flyers a one nothing lead over the New Jersey Devils at the Wells Fargo Center. So, And then uh, Reed had picked up the puck uh, by dancing around defenseman Mark Fainey and forced Rodora out of his crease. Reed's initial shot fell behind the net to Braden Shine, who dished it back out to Reed for a tough angle shot. Rodor was prone on the ice in front of, the cre- of, of his crease and couldn't make his way back to net in time to make the save. 
and that's what gave Philadelphia a one nothing lead uh, in game two. Uh, the Flyers won the first game in, in overtime fashion over the Devils. So that's the uh, you can follow his blog uh, sbnation.com/nhl. You can follow Travis Hughes over there and check his uh, stuff out. He's giving you live updates of the game as it's going on. And like I said before, going back to the Mets, uh, Baxter is backing up totally. Um, Mike Nikakis is ill, which leaves Josh Tolley as the only healthy backup backstop for Tuesday's game. Manager Terry Collins uh, checked the clubhouse for volunteers to catch where the Mets are going these days. And Mike Baxter, who uh, had caught actually in the Padres organization, um, uh, came up with Mike Baxter to be the catcher. So he Baxter said he had caught down there. Um, and he had the catcher's mitt, so he can be the catcher uh, for Mets if they need an extra catcher behind Josh Tolley. Number to call in, 1646-478-5118. That's a number uh, to call in to the program. Uh Six four six four seven eight fifty one eighteen. Like I said, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash sports docket, as well as facebook.com slash sports docket. That's where you can check us out. Travis Hughes of SBNation.com may be joining us here in a little bit to talk uh, some Rangers hockey. The Rangers Are tied with the Capitals in their series, one game to one game apiece. Uh, as they're uh, looking to take a two two game to one lead, the Rangers, of course, were the uh, NHL uh, Eastern Conference winners. I think that's how you say it. And uh, they're playing the Capitals next time Wednesday. Also, like just like the Knicks are, the Knicks will be the Knicks will be uh, Madison Square Garden at home. The Rangers will be on the road in Washington playing the Capitals in Game Number Three. Like I said earlier on, you can check out the archive of this show at go.show.com slash sd1. And uh, oh, it says sd61. I apologize for that. And you can check out the archive of this show. We had Diane Lim Rogers of the Christian Science Monitor joining us, as well as Alan St. John of Forbes.com. Some lineup updates from Flyers vs. Devils. Peter Harrow jumps to forward. Adam Larson made his debut in Kovalchuk's absence in the game. Uh, some other updates. Nashville Predators suspended Alex Radulov, Andre Kozintin for Game 3 after violating team rules. Ilya Kovalchuk is out for the Devils tonight, and yes, according to 
According to Travis Hughes, that was a good sign for the Flyers. Ilya Kovalchuk, of course, is a devil's forward, and he's going to miss game two versus the Flyers. Washington Talk NFL schedule. They released NFL schedule for Super Bowl champion Giants and the rest of the teams in the league. We'll get into that a little later on here on the program. We're supposed to have Travis Hughes joining us in between periods um, of the uh, of the Devils Flyers game, and he'll be joining us here to talk some hockey. Sixteen hours and forty-four minutes and five seconds. I'm looking at Rangers' website to the next game. The Rangers lost on April 30th, so they lost yesterday to the Capitals by a score of three to two. The Rangers had rallied from an early two-goal lead to tie the Capitals in the, in the third period, but Alex Ovechkin's power play goal at 12:33 proved the difference as the Rangers dropped Game 2 of the Eastern Conference semifinal series with Washington at Mass Square Garden. Now the Rangers go on the road for Game Number 3. Brad Richards and, and Michael Delzato both recorded two points for the Rangers, who had Brian Boyle back in the lineup Monday after he missed the previous three games due to a concussion. Mike Newell was in the penalty box for high sticking Ryan Callahan. The Rangers had tied the game 2-2 two two when Callahan deflected Del Zotto's wrist shot past Brian Holtby at 68 in the third period. The goal was Callahan's third of the postseason and came with his back to the net while batting Caps defenders in front. However, Washington was handed a pair of back-to-back power plays to own and they converted on the second one to regain the lead 3-2 with just 7 minutes and 22 seconds left to play. Four seconds after Richard was missile for a holding penalty, Washington Nicholas Backstrom won an offensive zone faceoff back to Ovechkin, who failed the shot through a, a Troy Brower screen in front for his third postseason goal. So that was game number between the Rangers and the Capitals. And uh, Going to see if Travis Hughes can join us. He's probably busy at the game, so we weren't sure if he can join us or not. But we still have 10 minutes left to go on the program. The number to call in is 1 646 478 5118. That's 646 478 5118. That's the number to reach us on the program. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash as well as We'll go over the NFL schedule, meanwhile, for the uh, 2012, 2000, well, I guess 2012 season. Uh, the Super Bowl Giants, two of the last five years, released their schedule, and uh, it looks tough, as you would expect, for a Super Bowl team uh, coming back on the, the gridiron. So we'll get into that as well with 10 minutes left to go in the program here. Numbers always to call is one six four six four seven eight fifty one eighteen. 478 5118 
coming to you live tonight from Kingston, New York. We also talked about the Giants draft picks as well and made Let's look at the Giants schedule. I'll read it off to you. I think it's going to be interesting to as the season goes on. Preseason games, they play at the Jacksonville Jaguars on Friday, August 10th at 7.30 p.m. Now they play the New York Jets again in the preseason, as always, on Saturday, April 18th, uh, Saturday, May, uh, uh, August 18th at 7 p.m. And then they play the Chicago Bears on Friday, August 24th at 8 p.m. And they, they play the Patriots once again. It's Tina D and Sinsubo. They play them on Wednesday, August 29th at 7.30 p.m. So the season is tough. First game starts the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Bucks, the Carolina Panthers, and the Philadelphia Eagles, Cleveland Browns, San Francisco 49ers, Washington Redskins, Dallas Cowboys, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cincinnati Bengals, and their bye week is week 11, and the Green Bay Packers, and the Washington Redskins, and the New Orleans Saints, and the Atlanta Falcons, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Philadelphia Eagles, week 17. So that's how their season rounds out. Number to call in, 646-478-5118. Uh, you can also... Find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash sportsdoc and facebook.com slash sportsdoc. And you can find this show at go.showdoc.com slash sd61. It's the 61st episode of the Sports Docket and the first since, I think, May 25th, 2010. So it's been a while since the Sports Docket's been on air on Blog Talk Radio. Stephen Ackman hopefully be back uh, in the future show. Is currently on assignment, like we said. Update on the Mets game right now. The Mets scored two runs in the top of the fourth. They now trail five to two. Uh, John Nee started this game. He exited after three innings. The Mets are chipping away at the big deficit. I'll get up to the Yankees game as well. The Mets, of course, trailed five nothing in this game. And they're chipping away at the big deficit. Travis Hughes is probably busy at the Devils uh, game, so hope to get him on a future show. He's an NHL beat reporter, beat editor for SB Nation, Sports Blog Nation. Um,
So we said the Mets right now trail the Astros 5-2. to two. They're coming back uh, in this game. They're having a comeback. They trailed 5 nothing after 3, and they're making their way back into the game. Also, since we last were on Blog Talk Radio, Blog Talk Radio has changed its studio. Now you have a whole studio to host your show. Of course, an online virtual studio. But I like the new features of Blog Talk Radio. It really uh, makes going to really enhance user experience. And uh, definitely been uh, definitely had an enjoyable time with the guests coming on earlier. And we hope that we get more listeners in, in the coming weeks as we get back into the swing of things with the sports docket uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Apologize for the dead air. I'm just checking the Yankees score right now. Don't believe they're playing. Maybe they're not playing today. We got about three minutes left to go on the show. Number to call in 646-478-5118. We'll put you on the air. Um, We also screened the calls too. So, about your topic and whatnot, and uh, you can join us on the on the program. Coming to you clear and live, maybe in HD as well. So uh, it's a whole new switchboard system that Blog Talk Radio has set up, and I'm excited to use it in future weeks as we as we start to gain more listenership. Um, and uh, more guests. Yankees note Curtis Granderson has pulled into the tie with Josh Hamilton for the American League lead in home runs with number nine in the bottom of the first for Phil Hughes who allowed four runs over five and two-thirds innings. The Mets trail 5-2 now. They're batting in the top of the fifth. Ruben Tejada batting against J.A. Hatt. We're going to do a, with one minute left to go on the show, we're going to do a live listener and caller check, letting you know how we did in our first show back. Tell you that in one minute. Total of 12 live listens. So that's not, that's not bad for our first show back. Um, Six live listens, six people clicked on our show. That's pretty awesome. Thank you for listening in. We really appreciate your your help and your and your listenership. Uh, it will increase in the coming weeks. But six live listens, six live callers tonight. Uh, a couple of our guests. Um, that was our total. 
Thank you for tuning in. And we'll uh, see you next week on the docket. <laughs>